0: Hi, friends. This is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie podcast. She casts episode, uh, what is it? It's episode 35. Lucky number 35. So I am (laughs) on with a new friend, Reverend Sarah Heath. I heard her, uh, on the Liturgist podcast, uh, Sometime last year, I had listened to a series of their podcasts in particular that kind of split me wide open. And the first one that split me wide open was the LGBTQ podcast. And then actually the first one was the Black and White podcast. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. Amazing. It was one of the best podcasts I've heard about race in a really long time. And then the next one was the LGBTQ one. And I realized some things about myself that needed some amending and in case you don't know what that means, a man means to change. So I needed to change myself uh, as a human. And then the next one was woman. And that was pretty rad. And so I heard people like Austin Austin Channing, and I heard Sarah Heath, and I was just like, I need to speak with them on the podcast. And so Sarah is on with us live um, in California. And I'm so excited to have you on this podcast episode. So welcome. Well, thank you. It's good to be on your podcast. I love your name, by the way. Type A. That's great. Thank you. I feel like it resonates with so many people because we wear so many different hats, right? And it's like, you can really be about business and that's your type A side and then kind of not (laughs) in other respects. I'm a
1: creative, I'm a creative person who's incredibly organized. So I always say that I'm A type A. I'm so type A that I'm always trying to convince people that I'm not type A, which is a type A thing to do.
0: Right? Totally. It's so true. So Sarah, one of the things that, uh, actually, it's not a great thing, but it stood out to me was um, someone had left a manifesto on the doorstep of your church. And just kind of how maybe scary that may have been, or even it may have caused anger. I'm not sure, but I remember hearing that and I was like, I would love to ask her about that, but before we go into that, uh, listeners, definitely, if they don't know who you are, I'd love for you to introduce yourself in your own words.
1: Sure. Uh, so my name is Sarah Heath, and I am ordained in the United Methodist Church and currently serve as the lead pastor at a relaunch, um, which is a a church that had been dwindling in numbers, and um, it's in Costa Mesa, and we've grown um, over the last uh, couple of months, which is kind of funny because I actually are are seeing folks showing up who uh, heard the Liturgist podcast and are like, we were looking for this kind of a community. So it's kind of neat how that kind of has all been sort of weaving into my life. And so I grew up in Canada until I was uh, 14 and then moved to the South. So I feel like I'm Southern Canadian, but then my mom's British, so I'm British Southern Canadian. And so my best friend always says that I'm brother Nadian. Um, so that's I've got all these funny. Yeah. <laughs> and now I live in California, so it all makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I've been in ministry now for I graduated from Duke Divinity School in 2005. Um, super passionate about creativity within um, from acting to writing to all that sort of stuff. And so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me in my own words. Um, it's funny because I'm horrible at talk. I have like no ability to build platforms so even like my bios that are on my websites and stuff I had to have friends write it for me so I'm like I don't really know what to say about me so they wrote it out
0: (laughs) so that's me in my own words I think that covers a lot of it yeah no I love it and and definitely we'll have it fun talking about a lot of different a a lot of different things so so tell you want to hear about the manifesto I want to hear about the manifesto okay we're just gonna (laughs) jump right in Sarah
1: Let's do it. Um, So that was actually, um, it was less of a manifesto, more of a ode to uh, Martin Luther, actually. It was on Reformation Sunday, which um, if you don't know what that is, that's for folks who don't know, it's the Sunday that they celebrate uh, Martin Luther putting the 99 Thesis, uh, nailing it onto the door of the Catholic Church, where he said, you know, these are things that um, are wrong. And so someone, (laughs) but I actually, what came out in the, in the liturgist, uh, podcast, Michael's one of my friends. And so we started laughing. We started thinking about the guy didn't even like nail the letter. He like taped it to my front door, which sure. later became, became really funny. Cause I was like, where is your commitment? Um, but it was a piece of paper that, um, basically, uh, used the word apostate to say that my church, because it had a female leader was not, um, in, in line with what he felt the gospel was. And also, um, because I'm single. Uh, so at first, uh, my reaction was, um, I think that I, I wasn't that freaked out about it until I, um, it was actually my former church. It's not the church that I'm currently at. Um, I've just been serving the church I'm currently at since July. And so um, this was in a fairly suburban area. Um, and it was an odd feeling once kind of I shared it with my staff. I had this really great um, uh, AV guy as well as a, a musician, and I shared it with them and uh, our choir director, she was the one who first said, Sarah, what weirds me out is this person knows you. So not only do they know that you're a woman, but they know that you're single. And I'd never thought about that. And then the thing that her husband said that sort of stuck with me is, somebody came on our campus at night and put this up. Sure. And sort of the, the idea of that. And then, um, unfortunately, my mom is this amazing woman, but she watches way too much Investigation Discovery TV. Uh, <laughs> and so all of a sudden, like all of my thoughts are like, am I being stalked? This is like, I, I just, I, I turned from a joke to like, huh. Uh, and then especially there are a lot of uh, men in my church who, um, kind of are just these amazing guys that kind of set up, used to set up the patio and they, their reaction also frightened me a little, which was that they got very protective, very fast. And so, um, they wanted to call the police, uh, because it was one of these moments where, uh, Someone had come on campus. They clearly knew who I was. It wasn't a threatening um, letter per se, but it was just being known and then being accused of not being, um, you know, biblical and all this sort of stuff. Um, And then sort of the idea that this person had the audacity to think that they knew what God would want in this sort of a situation. And um, we had a, a, we have a really healthy church. There It was a really positive community where people were, really growing in their faith. And it felt like such a weird thing for someone to do for knowing who I was, but not knowing our community. Um, and then the fact that they were using kind of old school language also kind of weirded me out. Um, again, because every investigation discovery, um, you know, ID show, you see, it's like some guy in the woods who's speaking old English that comes and kidnaps the person. So I'm just convinced that I'm about to be kidnapped. Um, but it was also around that time there had been a, fairly, uh, odd moment in worship for me where someone had, this guy had shown up. I'd never seen him before. He wore sunglasses for the entire worship service and he had a backpack between his legs and he never stood up for any of the songs or anything like that. So we were already kind of a little on high alert. Um, but you, you kind of have to straddle this line between being welcoming and also keeping folks safe. Um, and so it was definitely an odd experience. And then I, that evening, uh, (laughs) I went to, uh, a Christian rock concert, if you want to call it that. One of my friends owns a um, kind of like a touring company. Mm -hmm. And this plays into the thing because I was waiting in the line to see this Christian band. And I wasn't, um, I'm not super into Christian music. There's some that I like. uh, So I was just sort of waiting in line knowing that I was just getting in because a friend of mine owned the company. Um, And I get in and he's like, why did you wait in line? And I was like, I don't know. I just felt like I needed time to decompress from this letter. And then I kind of, surrounded by all of these Christians who were like raising their hand and just, it was such an odd experience where all of a sudden I didn't feel like I was part of that movement. It was this very like sexy, I don't even know how to describe it, this like the lighting was really, you know, incredible. And there were these two young guys on stage who were just like handsome as can be, like I think they were Australian or something, and they're like talking about Jesus and but it was really almost in like odd, like the girls are worshiping them. And like, it's it, you know, it, and I'd walked past this church's like bookstore to get there. And I'm like, I just don't fit in with this. And after having that letter put on my door, so I'm sitting in the sound booth with my friend and he's and I looked and I was like, D- do you find this weird? And he, he asked me what I found weird. I was like, this this thing as these girls are like listening to these guys sing these songs that could have been like pop love songs, um, like almost like kind of this weird thing. And I knew that in this room, in this church, I was in a church that didn't support women in ministry. Um, I was in a community that I, I kind of was guessing, but I was looking around the room going, most of these people don't support, you know, the things that I really believe in. And here are these people like raising their hands. To these like, I mean, hunky guys. And it'd been in any <laughs> other circumstance. I would get it. But I was like, is Jesus sexy? Like, what are we doing here? Totally. And my friend was like, Oh, everybody loves these guys. I was like, yeah. Okay. And I just kind of got up and started walking away. And he was like, what are you doing? And I said, I can't. He was like, what do you mean you can't? And I said, I can't Christian anymore. And he was like, "Uh, what? (laughs) And I had to walk away. I just left this concert. And later my friends were like, you went backstage. Like, why did you just leave? And I was like, because I I can't, after being so rejected, feeling so rejected by this community. I mean, it wasn't them, obviously. But this thing that I was like, I don't, Get the mega Christian like movement that doesn't accept women and doesn't accept others. And like, I just c- couldn't find Jesus in that room. And right then I needed Jesus. Um, so I uh, walked outside and actually ran into a friend and, uh, she asked me what I was doing and I kind of told her the story. And then she said, that's interesting. I know someone who's a pastor and he was talking about having done something like that. That he had been putting um that he had written out things about the church that weren't of God to celebrate Reformation Sunday and she said, Sarah I think he's the one who left the note so she went to him um wow. and he he's a is a pastor at a really really well known church um like nationally known <laughs> wow. um, he's started in one of their um one of their, uh, campuses and he almost lost his job over it. Um, and it was one of these things once, once we fi- figured out who it was, I never told the police that I figured out who it was. Cause really, I mean, what is that going to do? Sure. Um, but I did offer to talk to him because I felt like if he could hear from me, um, what I thought my calling was and, and how he had scared my people. And so, uh, my friend went and talked to him uh, Hearn actually prayed about it before, and then she went and had a conversation with him, and he he didn't want to meet me, and um, he he didn't understand why that would be scary to anyone. And so she laid it out for him, like, when you are a woman, you are constantly aware of your space, especially at night. And to have someone come onto the campus was, fr- <laughs> you know, was frightening for them. And so he finally kind of, I guess he sort of got it, but he never talked to me, never apologized. Uh, But I felt much safer after knowing who it was. But um, he was called in by his board of elders and had to have a conversation about it. But still, he never sought reconciliation. He never. But it was just one of those things that's odd. And, you know, now I pass that huge church um, where, you know, they supported his ministry. And I just, it, it, I don't know, it boggles my mind. Um, But that's kind of, I think that's kind of where we're at, where there's a bunch of us who uh, are following the same, book and following the same, uh, person and believing in, uh, who Jesus was and is. And yet we are on, like, I, I read stuff and go, how can you, you know, I, you talk to
0: people,
1: you talk to people about issues and you're like, but Jesus would have been sitting with these people. I'm so confused.
0: Um, I, so yeah, I love, I love that. And I, you know, I, I definitely did my homework on you because it's important to be informed about, who I will be speaking with and not necessarily in terms of will we always agree because I'm less <laughs> concerned with that I'm more concerned with getting to know someone even prior to actually speaking with them so that they're because I believe that that's a level of respect and some semblance of professionalism in what I'm doing That's which awesome. <laughs> is, which is simply having conversations with a member of humanity really is the way I look at it. Um Mm. One of my friends who is a police officer in Las Vegas, he's gonna he's agreed to be a guest on this podcast, and I know we do not agree on everything, and it will be an interesting episode, and yet I believe as a believer of the way, as someone who really has Jesus as my drishti or as my focus, I am called to have difficult conversations, which is one of the reasons Absolutely. that this podcast was born i mean on initial thought when one of my best friends suggested it to me i was in tears and a month later another friend suggested it to me and i was not in tears so i figured i was making progress and still i wasn't <laughs> ready you know because i didn't have that spark and then after the election i was pissed and so i was ready i had something to say <laughs> right and um and you know i it's interesting that you you brought up you know some of the gender and faith because Those are things that um, I had not, even listening to the women podcast, it wasn't until this year with the women's marches that I started to feel more of my gender. Not that Mm. I was disconnected to it. I just, you know, and actually more of my blackness too. Like I just Mm. was not in tune with those identities as much as I was with other identities. And I have been so, felt so grateful and so, Impassioned about loving those parts of me that maybe I tucked away Um, and I don't know if it was shame or what it was to be honest I'm sure i'll do some work around that because i'm always willing to do some work around. Why is something the way it is Uh, and that said, you know, one of the things you brought up was being single in the church Uh, a woman, oh, yeah. And that was something like I walked away from a church in which I was, um really involved I really love this church in Las Vegas. So a little bit about me, I I left Michigan a little over 10 years ago and uh, was there for about three months and a serious, significant spiritual awakening and experience happened for me. So it's been about 10 years and then I kind of reconnected with, with Jesus uh, three months after that, so June 2007. And recommitted my life in a way uh, in which I would allow my faith to dictate um, in a way that I was connected to this faith perspective like I hadn't been in the past. And I recognized some things about myself and it was largely a period of growth as it always is. And so I was part of this church for about six years and I served in many arenas. And I walked away because for me, it was such a struggle and such a trigger. And I think I'm okay. I've been using oils all this morning. Um, and I don't think I'm going to cry about this. But for oh. me, two of the roles that I've always wanted, um, or the things that I've always wanted to experience more than anything else, and I've had a really good life, uh, is motherhood, um, marriage and motherhood. And oh. so This church that is like a baby mega church in Las Vegas and was actually planted by a huge church in Vegas. And then my church planted another church in which I ended up going to because their singles ministry at the time was really thriving and uh, made us feel less alone as 20-something, 30-something, 40-something singles and, and beyond. And so I remember looking at like in service. So we had four services across the weekend you know, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, 6,000 people every weekend, 6,000 plus people every weekend. And I remember thinking there is really God, there's no one here for me. And Mm. just this overwhelming feeling of shame and not enough and, you know, never chosen all of these negative things that I believe the adversary, the enemy, whatever you want to call it, Um, kind of the lies that, um, the, the, the tape that plays in our minds that are not the truth, uh, you know, came over me and that was the last time I went to service there. And then Mm. I went on to this other church and I was there for nine months and didn't really feel like I was fed spiritually, to be honest. Um, and at the same time, the community was enough for me, even though I wasn't really growing spiritually in in the church setting I was in other scenarios or arenas, the fellowship was like what was keeping me there, you know, and just Mm. the, the strength of, um, I am enough and I'm with other people that are also single and, you know, all of this other stuff. And then I ended up being in a church startup slash plant and was there for six months. And then I found like needed to leave and found another church. Um, And then left Las Vegas, moved to California for a little while and came back um, to Vegas and then Michigan. So I'm back home again and still haven't found a church, but that's one of the reasons like for me, it has been incredibly triggering. And I've also found that I have enough community, even though we're not in the same place that I feel like that's church for me. And so I have met people like yourself and some of my friends have also left church for varying reasons. And, many of them are married. So it's not even the singleness, but how have you, how have you been able to navigate the road of being single, being a woman and being in church? Because you haven't left because you're, you're teaching the the good, you're teaching the good news to folks. So.
1: Yeah, I haven't left. Um, I think it's, you know, it, it wasn't, it's a really interesting phenomenon because I think, um, church, the idea of singleness or the idea of, um, not being married. It wasn't, this wasn't a, a choice I made. Um, sure. I definitely, uh, have been close to marriage before. And, um, I, it's funny, I, I was trying to, we were piecing this together, my friend and I last night, uh, laughing over, um, I'm obsessed with this show called no tomorrow. Um, I just watched the entire, like, I don't ever watch, I don't have time to watch TV, mm-hmm. but I have like, from like folding my clothes to doing my taxes to like everything. I've been watching this TV show. Um, and it's because I'm so drawn to the adventure, um, side of the characters. And of course it's a really handsome guy that's on the show too. And it helps that he has an Australian accent, but, um, (laughs) I think him and I, so my friend and I were talking and he was talking about how, um, I used to date a lot, um, which is different when you're a pastor. Like my job is just bizarre, um, for people. And so it is, it is a really hard thing. Um, navigating, being a leader. And I don't think it's just that I'm a pastor. Um, I think it's also odd for other women in leadership um, to date and figure out how to do that. Um, I've experienced, you know, just a lot of my friends as I talk to them, um, you know, I have friends who are executive directors of nonprofits to women who are lawyers to women who are, you know, executives in the Amazon, I mean, friends across the 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 board. And it isn't um, necessarily easy to find someone um, who is comfortable with um, a strong woman, it, especially if the strong woman, like i I will admit to being um, I'm not a stereotype, and so it's really hard to figure out, and I don't think anyone ever really is, you know, um, because I am in a lot of ways soft, um, which you know, as a leader can be seen differently. A lot of women, especially who are leaders before me, um, who kind of paved the way for us. Um, we're had to lead almost from a male, um, perspective or like tough, you know? And, uh, I get to, I get the luxury of uh, kind of being me a little bit more. And, uh, I think that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is just authentic leadership and being yourself. And, um, I'm a little, you know, I'm, I have my girly side (laughs) and I, uh, I love fashion. (laughs) I'm very girly, Mm -hmm. but I'm, but I'm also this leader. And so it's this strange, like, um, balancing act that is uh, difficult to do. And so um, I think also because of my job, it's a really intimidating job. I had a really good guy friend one time tell me, he's like, Sarah, I've had a crush on you for years, but dating you meant like almost dating a single parent who had like 52 kids because at the time I was a youth pastor. Um, And I was like, but that's not me because there's like me in the church and then there's me in real life. And me in real life kind of feels like I just sort of fell into this like ministry thing and that that's only part of me. Um, and so it's really hard to navigate it, you know, even from like, and also there was a significant period of my life where I was dating someone. And so for me to like, kind of get back into the dating thing is just bizarre. I mean, I've literally had guys tell me you can date. I didn't think you were allowed to date. And it's like, what? <laughs> I'm not a nun. Exactly. <laughs> like, what part of like a girl with a nose ring makes you think I'm a nun? Um, but I have had that like sort of reaction. And because I, I think my faith is progressive too, which is, which is different too. So like the super Christian boys wouldn't really be into me. And then the guys that like really are like into powerful women, I'm still kind of like, yeah, but I have a lot of feelings. So I think there's this like really difficult spot to sit in. And then there's also the, the, the truth of the matter is, you know, I went through a fairly public breakup and that was really hard as a, as a leader to go through that when you're not feeling, you know, my own life was, such a place of not you know, you use the word not chosen and I I felt unbelievably not chosen. And I felt like because of who I was as a leader in the church, um, that that really also made it harder. Um, because uh I had found that, you know, my exes I, have you ever seen the movie Good Luck Chuck? That's my no, life story. I
0: haven't, but I should okay. put it on my list.
1: It's really not that great. But oh, okay. in it there's a character who uh Every time he dates a girl, she then marries the very next person. And uh, that has been my, my story for a while. I
0: get it. I get that. Yeah. yeah. And
1: so for a while, my friends were like, hey. like," <laughs> uh, They used to call it pulling a Sarah Heese. And that was really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, too, it became this thing where my exes would always marry uh, school teachers that – not that school teaching is awesome and great and there's really powerful women doing that but it always seemed like huh who i am is too big so who i am is too big and so then i felt less than which doesn't really make sense except that you know as i have been watching um, even when i watched the election coverage and things like that a lot of the critique that um one of our candidates was getting that hillary clinton was getting were really these weird bizarre statements about how we want women to be everything all at once so totally. she either smiled too much or That's right. or not enough and so as a female leader i feel like i because i have this life that can seem larger than life um I, it can seem like i can't fit someone else in there which is actually not the truth you know before i entered this arena of ministry and this is the conversation my friend and i were having last night cuz he was like he used to date all the time. And then you moved out to California and you, but I said, I don't know whether it's, I moved out to California or if it's because I took on a leadership role. Like, I don't know why I don't date that often. Um, and I, you know, I, I would like to think that I could, I don't know, I could date it or figure out why, but it's I think been a series of a bunch of different things and, um, navigating it is really hard, particularly because like my current community is filled with a lot of um, younger folks. So our older folks, so the people that were 17 to 27, um, more elderly folks. And then as our community has been growing, it's sort of been with that age group that sort of listens more to the liturgists. Um, Mike McCurg, Science Mike is one of my best friends, like people that he's kind of sent my way. Um, so there's people between like, I'd say 25 to like 45. There's That's a, a solid chunk of our church. And A lot of them are young marrieds, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there looking at them, and they have really rad marriages, and I think it's so great, and um, I look at that and think, did I miss out on that? Because, you know, there was a season in my life where I did grieve being a young bride. You know, I'm in my mid-30s, and that's a weird place to be single, Um, so being single in your mid-30s. Hell yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I look you know, a lot younger than I am. And so sometimes me people too. get that confused <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no, I'm well past my, I mean, I'm past my mid thirties, but, um, yeah. So I hear you anyway.
1: I think it's bizarre too, because I'm also the leader, I think. And people, you know, negotiating or navigating it, I think it's just being, um, learning how to be really honest with people about kind of where you're at. And, um, I always talk about vulnerability and yet, there's parts of my life that I struggle with being vulnerable about. And so even like in the last year, have I begun to be able to narrate how hard it is for me? Like I love Lisa and Michael. I love being around them. I love Mike and um, his wife, Jenny, mm-hmm. but also I'm like, guys, you guys have such rad marriages. I don't even know how I could live up to this. Like, um, sure. and I won't, I won't settle for less is what Mike, Mike always is like, if yeah. a guy doesn't treat you, you know, the way that I treat Jenny or the way Michael, like I've been around Michael Gungor when he is not around Lisa and he talks so positively yeah. about her which she deserves cuz she's amazing. Um but it's hard cuz I look at it and I'm I'm looking at these women who are being um just celebrated for who they are and that's how strong right. they are and how wonderful they are and I wonder if I myself have chosen people that didn't know how to celebrate that in me. So that's kind of the work that I feel like I'm doing right now and opening space to to that. And again it's like it's that is never a title like, if you had asked, like, high school Sarah if she would be single in her 30s, there would have been, like, no way. I started Girl, dating at 15.
0: Totally. It's so You tr- know?
1: <laughs> it's so, so true. I think, Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I just think that um, we, as a culture and society, are trying to figure out, and, like, marriage for me isn't the prize. Um, the prize is really, like, being in... Um, a relationship with uh, someone I value and someone who values me. And um, I just can't have it look crappy. And I do live in an area that's pretty superficial and um, that's hard. You know, Um, There's a lot of people who get, there's a lot of Christians around here, but again, it's sort of that more mega church movement. So a lot of them are like getting married when they're like 21. Um, So it's just a weird, it's like I missed a train that I didn't know was coming. Yeah. Yeah. So well, how um, do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. I don't know you know. Stay honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, transparency is incredibly important. I remember one time I was so devastated because one of my dear friends and she passed away last summer. And <clears throat> I think about one of our first times because we were partnering together on um, some wellness events. And so she said, oh, do you want to get married? And I was like, yeah, actually I do. And she's like, I would never have thought that. And ah. I was devastated because I was like, if she is someone who we're starting to develop a friendship, right, a deeper friendship doesn't recognize that. How could anyone else recognize that, you know? And definitely some stuff shifted within me because I was probably at that point not really putting out that I was interested in at least dating and meeting someone and I too because I'm 38 I'm not 28 I'm not 18 so I'm crystal clear that being married is not going to complete me or is not going to even touch some of the you know some of the issues that kind of stand in my way right that's me doing work with the divine and oh. and people that the divine has allowed my cross my path to cross Uh, so that we can do this good work together. Because I believe it's a mutual uh, relationship, right? Like, if I do coaching or counseling or therapy or anything like that, it helps both people even if one person is considered, uh, you know, quote-unquote the expert and the other person is the recipient of their care. So I'm clear that there's no completion or like marriage is not the end all be all like that idea is not a part of it however I would love to share this amazing life that the divine has allowed me to have that I've worked for too you know that I've done some great things and I just I was just in Maui a couple weeks ago you know and I got a chance to teach uh, anatomy and physiology for a yoga teacher training and that's awesome. Anatomy and physiology is something that I absolutely love because I love how we are created. Like I love humanity and I love just the idea of blood vessels and, you know, bones Mm -hmm. and muscles and marrow. Like I love this, you know, just to see how it all works. Uh, and then how it plays out in a yoga practice. I love that. I'm a yoga therapist as amongst other things. Uh, and to have been able to share that with someone else. And did I share it with a lot of people? Hell yeah, I did. There were like 60 people in the yoga teacher training, right? Along with our team, along with all of the beautiful people I met on Maui, you know, and my it definitely wet uh, appetite and also created more because I'm like, I'm retiring there. So yes, it was, you know, I have this big, beautiful, bold life. And at the same time, it yep. would be so cool to share it with someone and to actually be a part of furthering humanity. And I know that having children isn't the only way. So I, friends, I'm not interested mm-hmm. in hearing your opinions on this. This is my ex, my lived experience. And so that's <laughs> that's all I'm going to, you know, that's what I'm saying about it. And that's my desire. It's the desires of my heart. So, uh, yeah, I think it's funny. Yeah. My friend and I were... Uh...
1: Recently, I went to visit some friends in New York and I, um, a guy that I've been friends with for like 20 years and him and I were kind of catching back up and we were skating in Central Park. Um, that's how you know you're Canadian. You're mm-hmm. like, Look, what should we do? Let's go skating. So we were just talking and, um, he asked me this question that I, I find really interesting and he just looked at me and said, are you happy? And I looked at him and I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, you just seem like you're happy. Mm-hmm. Are you happy? And I was, he was like, do you, cause I know that like, this isn't the life you thought. because mm-hmm. I mean, we've known each other since we were 16. So he's always known me as the girl that dated the guys and all this sort of stuff. And, and I said, you know, it's funny. And he goes, you're happy, but you're still missing that thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And he can totally relate. He lives this amazing life in New York. And that's like, my story is like, my life is pretty excellent. Like I get yep. to travel and speak to large groups of people and, Um, I I have a book published, like I get to create and do all this sort of stuff that I love to do. I live in California, which is gorgeous. Um, things are pretty great. I just traveled to Ireland, you know, I, I'm on my way to Costa Rica soon to do some surfing with some friends. And I think I have this big, beautiful life and, and I was saying to him, but there are, there's sunsets that I wish someone else was with, but I, I know what it's like to have a healthy relationship. And so I can't accept anything less and I can't, and I can't settle. And you know what? I I remember one time I was feeling, I was feeling this way and I was, I think it was just after a breakup and I was with one of my youth group kids and she's no longer a kid. She probably was in her early twenties at this point. And, uh, I think I was just sort of sad about the idea of like, I think I thought I'd have kids. I wasn't sure. I don't know that I want kids, but I feel like I think I thought I would have kids just because I came from, you know, I never envisioned, it's funny. I never envisioned a wedding until I at one point was planning one, but I never envisioned a wedding. But what I always envisioned was like, I have these, my parents are the most amazing humans. And we would go on vacation when I was younger and with my brother and I, and we would go on these car trips. And I just remember them being like so much fun. And we grew up on this lake and people always had lake houses there. And so there would be these big, like people would have all their family would visit. And um, I remember just as a kid being like, I can't wait till I have kids and I can do this thing with my kids was kind of my, my vision. But I also know there are a lot of things that I probably couldn't have done, uh, especially if I had gotten married to some of the the folks I've almost gotten married to, because there wouldn't have been space for some of the creative things I've been able to do. There wouldn't have been space for me to do some of the, traveling and leading that I've done or writing that I've done. And I, m- I might not know some of the people that I know. Um, but I think that that season of my life is kind of coming to a point where I'm ready to, I really am ready to share that with yeah. someone, but it's gotta be the right person. And, totally. um, you know, once I was dating this guy and, uh, a friend of mine, um, and actually was at that point in my life, I was pretty good friends with Rob Bell, the writer. And he was, he was, he said to me, it's not that I don't like who you're dating. I just don't like that I feel like I'm watching you shut down. Mm. He's like, you're you're becoming less of you. He goes, a, re- a good relationship, Sarah. And I actually kept the voicemail he left me. He's like, a good relationship opens you up and you're more you. And he's like, and I'm watching you slip away. And that's the, the reality of it is when I'm in relationship, I tend to really want to support the other person. It's just kind of, I'm a two on the Enneagram, which mm-hmm. is like the helper. And so my natural me instinct too. is... Yeah. It's just to support the hell out of whoever Mm -hmm. I'm with. And so um, sometimes that can be unhealthy. And so I think, you know, as I look at it and as I hear what you're saying, I can completely relate to looking at this big, bold, beautiful life and going, the person's got to be great to fit into this. I have a really good friend, um, Halima Nash, who is this wonderful African-American from California, lives in Chicago. Her life is I mean, she's, I just saw pictures of her today and she's in Cuba. She's Mm -hmm. just like incredible speaker, uh, just this beautiful, she's gorgeous. I don't have, I don't have one guy friend who hasn't been like, she's gorgeous. And she has the same problems because she is this person who can't settle for less than someone who would, and not settle for less of a person. It's not a judgment of the person, but someone who's willing to be, um, part of the journey. And I have enough friends who have really, great marriages and they are always being more themselves, you know? Um, And I think that's the, it's not that they're necessarily married to a perfect person. It's just their ability to like make room and space for each other and like are celebrated. One of my favorite things in the world is when I am with some of my guy friends and they are away from their wives and the way they talk about their wives is so beautiful that I think, you know, in some ways I've been spoiled because that sounds like I, I, I want that. I want the person who's excited about who I am.
0: Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And, and then, I mean, my parents, God willing, June 18th of this year will be 40 years. And my dad came over to this country from Nigeria and he went to a couple different schools, but he ended up getting, you know, a full ride to the University of Michigan and got three, mm. three masters, no, two masters and a PhD there. And so my mom was supportive of that um, process, right, because it was a lengthy process. And she was working on her master's uh, shortly before that with me as an 18-month-old, and my she was pregnant with my brother. So imagine what a rock star badass she was then and then in her her 50s she went back to get her PhD and my dad was supportive of that yeah so she got it shortly after she earned it shortly after she turned 60 or 61 maybe um and that was a while ago and you know so yes like healthy relationship you know thank I'm I'm so glad that I get to witness healthy relationships and that I get to witness unhealthy relationships because a lot of times, depending on where I am emotionally and where I am in terms of reality, <laughs> let's be honest, you know, sometimes I can take a look at something and see it for what it really is, and sometimes, not very often, I take a look at something and don't see it for what it is, and so, uh, I would much rather be single, and be grateful. And be honest about when I'm not having those uh, gratitude filled days about where Uh I am, right? With closed mouth friends that don't throw scripture at you because friends, we don't need another Bible verse. Thank you. But no, thank you, you know, (laughs) Um, but are honest, you know, and honest about the challenges that they may have in their own relationships that are really still solid, rock solid, amazing uh, uh, marriages. And just being honest about that. And so I appreciate my friends that are married that tell me about some of the challenges and not just, you know, the Facebook or Instagram feed that people see. And being able to live alongside people, uh, that is incredibly important because of that transparency and that honesty and that, uh, you know, uh, vulnerability. You know, all of that stuff is incredibly important. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit. And talk about... The women's march. I had pneumonia and bronchitis. No, oh, no. That's a lie. I had pneumonia and laryngitis, so it's a little bit better, but <laughs> marginally so. I had uh, pneumonia and laryngitis the week leading up. So I was sick for several weeks. Uh, and so I did not participate in the local women's march. Definitely wasn't traveling to DC or anywhere else for that matter. So I marched in spirit. So what was your experience like? And Then I also, before we have to go, because we could probably talk for hours, Sarah, because it sounds like there are so many similarities between us, I wanted to also chat about, kind of circle back to the church, um, because another reason that I walked away was during the circus of an election cycle is what I call the presidential election of 2016, and the months, uh, the 18 months or so leading up to that uh, election for me as a former parishioner i felt like the silence of the church was deafening on so mm. many different issues on so many different levels so you can take whichever one you want to f- first and then we can go to the other a lot of it seems like a lot of it might be kind of merged together or we can talk about it sure. like chronologically as well so
1: yeah i think um it's interesting i I struggle with, um, I am probably more progressive than a lot of the people who I love and serve. But at the same time, I'm currently serving a church that's pretty progressive. And so I have a lot of room to say, um, more things that are on my mind. Um, I'm about to hold on. I've got a dog having a fit. You are done. Thank you. My roommate's dog um, likes to express herself. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) she does not like that she's not allowed in this room right now. Um, She wants to talk about feminism.
0: Um, That is so funny. I love it.
1: I think uh, during the election, I struggled with, um, there's a large population that doesn't feel heard, and that population is the white, middle to lower class, um, rural person, And I know and love a lot of those folks. And at the same time, it's like people are yelling from two sides. And the reality is uh, so much bigger than that. So it's like people are seeing things as cut and dry, right? Like Mm -hmm. all this or all that. And my heart was breaking, um, particularly over some friends were posting some things that I just adored these people and the things that they were posting and i'm talking like on both sides so like i had um this person in my life who i just love and she just cannot stand um president obama um former president obama and michelle obama i happen to um really think uh michelle obama for me is really is a uh someone who i look up to a lot okay. talk about strong graceful um just all the things that i think I can't imagine trying to hold all those things in balance. Um, And as this person was posting these things, what was really hard for me and it really caused me to is the fact that I was like, this, this is racial. Mm -hmm. And I know this person to be a loving person and to be a person who has friends who are of different ethnicities than they are. And I just, it was almost like they had separated themselves in these weird compartmentalized things. And, and that's, I just want people to like on the fullness, understand what they're saying and doing. And so like you talked about the separation of the story from the policy earlier when you and I were just chatting offline. And I think that's a lot of what's happened is people say, well, I'm against this. But when you have a person, when you say those things to like, it is just unbelievable. And I can give you this, this story to give you sort of my experience with all of this. So people ask me why I marched in the March, um, with some friends of mine and, um, it was a really busy weekend. Actually, I was a bartender for something called uh, beer camp, which is, uh, this thing that, uh, homebrew Christianity does. And, um, literally my friend said, Hey, will you be one of the bartenders? Which is only funny cause I'm like, all right, I'm a pastor, but I guess I can be a bartender. So it was super fun. Um, but I was so busy that weekend, but I was like, there's something about being in that mix that I wanted to do. And so I decided to take the train with some friends that were going, cause it's much easier to get in and out that way. And sure. another friend of mine was great. And he was like, I'll pick you up. So riding on the train, I want you to picture this. We're riding on the train and most of it is women in pink hats and a group of Amish people And a a couple other people who are commuting and have no idea what the heck is going on. So I find a seat and I sit next to this woman. And she says to me, what are you doing? Why are there so many women? Like, what's going on? And I said, oh, you know, it's the Women's March. And this is a woman I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. And she went, and she went, (laughs) And then she put her earphones in and she started reading the inauguration speech.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Passive aggressive much?
1: That is hilarious. So then I become passive aggressive because she then (laughs) opens her Bible. So now she's reading her Bible, and I don't know why, but I hadn't, I hadn't made my sign yet. That because my friends were all like super organized, they brought me a sign and some markers. Mm -hmm. So I wrote, "What you do unto the least of them, you do unto me," and then I wrote Jesus. (laughs) that was my passive aggressive sign for the day. And I wrote it while she was like looking at me. Um,
0: That's so funny.
1: (laughs) And I wanted her to know like, and then I had a t-shirt on that said bad theology kills.
0: Oh my God. Can we just pause for a second? So two of my dear friends, uh, Mandy Reed and Stephanie Moore. So we started a social justice book club and we started, it started Mm. in February. So we read, We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda uh, Adichie. And then this month we're reading $2 a day. So some of like people who live on literally $2 a day. And it talks about kind of this war on poverty and this war on welfare and the different people who were at play and party to that literally, um, you know, in the eighties and uh, kind of this war on people is really what it is. But Mandy tagged us. so we have this group text that's go- been going on for a long time, and then we also have a group within Instagram, and so you had posted a photo of yourself uh, wearing this t-shirt, and Mandy was uh-huh. like, oh, oh, my God, look, and I was like, hell, yes, it does. <laughs> Amen. You know the emoji? It's now one of, becoming one of my favorites where the two hands are up. Like, yes. yes. It's almost <laughs> like touchdown. Yes. Yes. Hell yes,
1: all the yeses. So yes. all the yeses, yeah. So that's a my that shirt was created by this guy I know, Kevin Garcia, who works with um, the LGBTQ community, um, and he was a former worship leader until he came out, and now is a worship leader again in communities that are welcoming and affirming. But he's just okay. this amazing human, and we talk about like you can have all these ideas, but you have to realize you're literally killing people. That's right. When you're telling them that you are, they are not enough. That's they are right. then moved to suicide and until you like honestly you know so I had that and my sign so I was being passive aggressive but we're on this train and they're this group of Amish people and they're just the sweetest ever and they uh this one of the girls from the group like asked them or he asked them where are you headed and they said oh we're headed to New York or we're headed to LA to to march in the women's march and they were like well what's that and so they explained and um you know, they were like, yeah, you know, this election and the person that voted in talks about women so poorly. And he was like, oh, and she said, you don't know that. And he said, no, we don't read the news and we don't, we don't vote. And she was like, what? She's like, oh, he said, we vote on our knees. Um, hmm. And this, this woman was like, what? Like, just so upset about it. And it was really interesting because I thought, you know, she's like, well, now you're like voting against us by not voting. Blah, blah, blah. Like this thing. And I was like, this is exactly a, a a micro moment where I'm getting to see kind of our overall problem is we don't hear each other, listen to each other or um, this guy is saying like, he doesn't believe in our belief systems of nominations or, I mean, the guy is literally Amish. He's clearly with his whole Amish family. (laughs) Um, And it's this um, profound moment where she could have asked him more about himself, but instead was just like kind of giving her whole reason for all of this. And, as I did the march, it was this beautiful positive experience for me. I was surrounded by um these wonderful women, just super empowered, amazing women. And it was neat too, because actually I was with all the women that were with me are married and um most of them have kids. Two of them were pregnant actually. And they were funny because they were like, you know, it's this moment where we realize like all of our husbands support us enough to want to be with our children today so that we can go and do this thing. Awesome. And they, you know, her one husband had like packed this, like, really neat lunch of food for us, Um, because, you know, as we get hungry, Um, it was just this amazing experience. What was also amazing is when I got back from the March, the beer camp was still going on, so I went and helped. They had all these theologians came in and podcasters, and they had beer makers, and the reason I got invited to be a um, a bartender was that my friend is actually uh, one of the beer makers, and so he was... And everyone was so interested about like, how was it? And most of these people in the room were male, you know, Mm -hmm. beer and beer and Bible is kind of male, but, um, (laughs) although I like beer, but they all like (laughs) sat around and, um, and it was really neat. They wanted to know what was my experience. What was the best part was the worst part. And I think the best part was just gathering with people to say, we are not alone. Um, and it wasn't, it's funny, the negative signs about, um, Trump didn't, they, they, they bothered me. And, um, what I liked were the positive signs, the signs that said, we are together. You are seen, you are heard, you know, this sort of stuff. There was this one really old woman and she was sort of shuffling along. I mean, she was this is thousands upon thousands of people. I mean, we barely could move in the LA March. It was just so packed and she was holding a sign and it said, you're right. Marching doesn't do anything, but you have the right to vote, so you're welcome. And she, like, was just, like, carrying the mm-hmm. side, this little... And I was like, she's been marching for a long time about this stuff. And and I think it's the... People don't know why people are so hurt or so hang, angry. You know, one of my um, friends who's a, a real strong Republican said to me, well, I don't know why, you know, the liberals won't just get over it. We got over their, you know, president being elected. Mm-hmm. We put up with that for eight years. And it's like, it. you're... I don't think Obama ever threatened the personhood. Not
0: at all.
1: Um, he never once, I mean, even, you know, no matter how you twist or turn the news, um, that was never a thing. And so I think, you know, and some of my friends have been really honest with me, who are um, Republican, have been honest about the fact that, um, you know, this this man Trump is not even a Republican. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah,
0: totally.
1: And I think that's the the reality of it is I, I don't see God as a Democrat or Republican, sure. but I see God as standing with the least of these. That's and it right. never was it never was America first. It never was yeah. you know, us first, me first. I mean that's right. And so I don't mind if people have these beliefs, but I do mind if they're using my faith as the reason that they have these that's beliefs. Because right the least and the lost and who we're called to or people that I'm not comfortable necessarily always being around, but who I just keep having to press into. This is who Jesus spent his time with. This is who we're supposed to be like, it's messy and it's, you know, it's not me first. I don't get to make a lot of money. I mean, it's just one of these. And then just say like, I'm actually really just super a capitalist. If that's what you are, that's great. That's fine. But don't say, (laughs) don't, don't say it's because of your faith. And that's the, so that's the thing that, you know, the day after the, having to preach, um, after the election, people were like, what are you going to say? Sure. And I literally just pushed my notes to the side and I was like, here's the deal. A lot of things have been said. We need to be better than that. And and then I said, we need to be a place where the homeless feel welcome. We need to be a place where our community is very mixed, um, both gay and straight and, um, That's awesome. you know, different ethnicities and ages and definitely political standings. And so it was just one of these moments where it was like, we need to really have a sense of like, we, we're going to sit in the uncomfortable conversation and, you know, talk about it. And so I think for me, I never told anyone how to vote or how not to vote. Um, it was just important for us to have the conversation about like when women are spoken about in this way, when, yeah. impacts that it has, or even, you know, the truth of the matter is words are never words. um, And we have to just be, you know, even God created through word, right? Mm -hmm. If we believe in, and the idea of, you know, word became flesh and all this sort of thing. And so it's like, we really have to understand that our words are powerful. So I think um, we're in kind of a mess right now, but at least we're learning to hopefully hear each other. That's my fear is that some of my friends on the left have just decided to just keep screaming and it's like no 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 this is a time to listen like why are people afraid of the foreigner totally and then cuz just telling them like that's silly and that's that's not that doesn't work you got to have actual relationship with people it's until you have a name and a face then it doesn't change and so that's i think our our task and our job is to really put names and faces and stories to these things that people are saying and doing so my example of this is the day after the election there was, I work at a co-working space, um, okay. which is really cool because the. Tr-
0: oh no, it's starting over, but that's okay. <laughs> so the day after the election, you said. Yes. You were starting. Yeah,
1: sure. I'll start there. And then if you have to weave your magic editing, weave totally. it together. <laughs> uh, so the day after the election, I work at this co-working space and this woman who had been talking to me leading up to the election, who she's just amazing. She's actually left the church over a lot of these issues. Um, she and I had gone to lunch and kind of talked about all this sort of stuff. And she was like in a lot of pain over just some of the things that were being said. And, you know, a lot of the people who are in our co-working space, you have to be what they call a world changer to work in this co-working space. So there's a lot of neat nonprofits, Christian groups, whatever, um, all different kinds of groups in there. Well, there was this truck out front that had the name of a Christian university, like alumni sticker on one side. And on the other side was a sticker that had a picture of, Hillary Clinton. And it said, life's a bitch. Don't vote for one. Um, And so that was parked in front of our co-working space. Now you have to understand in that space are about, at least on a daily basis, about 30 really powerful, smart women who are doing like world changing things. And so this woman came out to me and she's like, I just can't believe it. You know, this is a woman who has left the church. She just feels, you know, she's like, why would a Christian or someone who's walking around professing, like, why would they put that thing there? And I just sort of, thought about it and I, I walked over, this is after the election and I, it, you know, the morning after, I walked over and I just sat next to this young man who I just think he's so great. He's so, such a nice person, but I, I thought it was his truck. So I sat next to him and I said, hey, is that your red truck out front? And he said, without even like pausing, he said, I'll take it off. And I said, no, 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 oh, no, no, no. Like that's, yes, that's great. But I need you to hear why. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he was like, uh, uh, okay. I was like, I don't care that you voted for Trump. I mean, that wasn't my candidate, but that you have every right to vote for Trump and you can put a Trump sticker on there. That's totally fine. I said, what I care about is that word. And I care about the fact that a strong woman is being called a bitch and look around this room. Every time that word gets used, we've all heard it about ourselves. Like, and I said, I just need you to know why it's not okay. And he was like, Sarah, I'm so sorry. And he had like tears in his eyes almost. He was like, I didn't think about it that way. And I think that's the reality of it is that so many of us don't realize how it affects the people in our lives. You know, that bumper sticker, um, whether or not, I mean, even if you think that Hillary Clinton is, I mean, there are lots of things that that aren't great about her and there's Mm -hmm. lots of things that aren't, you know, of course, um, do I don't even know that she was the greatest candidate but I do know that that word being associated with powerful women is one of the biggest problems we've got um because we are constantly reiterating that to be a strong woman is to be a bitch right to be you know and so I think that was that was a powerful moment but it was also a powerful moment for me in that realizing like no I have to cuz I am non confrontational like that was probably the hardest thing I think I like had to take a nap after that <laughs> um but it was so powerful to be able to hug him and just say, thank you. Because to me, you're saying you care about me in this moment. I appreciate it. And it, and to be able to be a voice for the other women in the room. So that's, we're trying, I'm trying not to be silent. Um, I'm also trying not to push people away by being like, Trump is the worst. Totally. Um, so it's well, hard because he, I don't agree with much of the policy and much of the stuff coming out is really problematic within scripture. So...
0: Well, yeah, I I totally agree, and I mean, I asked a friend who's also a believer, and I said, take away policy, because I know we're not going to agree on that. Take away policy. I'm asking specifically about former President Obama, Well, I still call him President Obama because that's Uh where I'm at, Um, as a family man, because a lot of the conservative right, from what I hear, um, it's not a... view that I align myself with, you feel really good about conservative Christian values, family, men, family, women, fam- people who are around family and, you know, devoted to marriage, blah, blah, blah. Right. This is a person who has been devoted and is devoted to his wife. We see uh-huh. it. anyone who has eyes can see, right, uh-huh. um, is devoted to his children. Is devoted to raising and rearing them in a way that honors people from what I see now I could be completely wrong I'm often wrong I say that from time to time because sometimes I think I know and I really don't However, <laughs> I'm gonna go with my gut on this and it appears that this is a solid family unit so tell me what is wrong with this person as a person not as a politician And my friend whom I love and respect and who loves and respects me could not respond. And that is where I find some resistance. And this is human sandpaper as I am to others. Right. And I agree with you. That's one of the reasons the podcast came to be is because I wanted to be able to arm people with information on how to have conversations with people, because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you know, the war on drugs, the war on poverty and welfare, the war on terror has been a war on people. And so when people can speak for themselves, whether it's me amplifying someone's voice or speaking out and up for people so that they have a platform or a space to speak, mm. whether it is. Um, and I realized that personally for me with Orlando last summer, I was living in California and I was going to meet um, I was dating someone at the time, and we were going to meet in Santa Monica, and we heard the news of what had happened in Orlando, and it was during Pride Week, um, and it was just devastating to me. And I realized as a believer, or as someone who attempts <laughs> feebly sometimes to emulate the life of Jesus Christ, I was not doing my part to stand up and speak up and speak out and pervade a space, uh, a safe space for people in the LGBTQ plus community, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I feel convicted about this. Like, I need to do something different in this arena of my life, right?" And so, it is such a beautiful thing to be able to speak with people that may not. It's great to speak with people that agree with me. It's oftentimes easy. Um, And it feels good. And at the same time, if I really believe I am you and you are me, there are no others. There is no us versus them, then anyone I'm condemning is me. I'm condemning Uh. myself. And so I need to take a look at that. And at the same time, I staunchly feel like I'm not going to support someone from the all wrong movement or white supremacists or people who are you know, really doing insane detrimental things that I see, you know, nope, or that absolutely. I have, um, not even control over. Right. Cause I barely sometimes have control over myself. What I mean is like have some reach or some pull with, uh, you know, because I, I, I am willing to have conversations and I'm willing to entertain difficult conversations as it sounds like you are because of where we've been placed in our lives. And so I'm really grateful to be able to do it alongside other people shoulder to shoulder because it would be really sad if I couldn't do this with other people because I don't know that I would, you know? Um, uh-huh. it, it gets really tiring. So I'll end with this because this is probably the longest interview I've ever done, which is pretty cool. Um, Feel free to cut no, it down. I won't no, <laughs> It's all good. Um, So how do you self-care? And then we will go on to Humans of New York and we will... Close out in the usual manner. So, how do you self care, Sarah?
1: Self care for me um, is honestly uh, probably a mix of uh, I work out <laughs> mm-hmm. and I um, run with a run team. So, I run with a run club and I uh, work out at a gym that's really community oriented and um, it's a really difficult gym and I it's challenging and it kind of takes me out of my headspace. So, I do that and then um, I have the luxury of living in a place where I can take my dog to the beach. So I take days where my dog and I just go down to the beach and he is like a wild man on the beach. Like he is a, like a calm, wonderful dog, but you get him on the beach and he gets so excited. He runs in circles and it causes me to laugh hysterically. And I just sit and I watch the waves and that is my favorite thing to do. And I also drive a convertible. And that's how
0: I do. All right. So I love that you, um, (laughs) you rode and you ride with your top down often, or you have a convertible. So
1: having a convertible is my self care. I love it. It feels like I'm on vacation all the time. It always
0: does when you're in a convertible. So thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the podcast. It's been awesome to have you. It was so great.
1: You know, it's hard. We talked about topics that I don't necessarily, and I don't think anyone has answers for. So I think it's just more the idea of how can we be part of the conversation, right?
0: That's right. It always is. People just want to be a part of the conversation, friends. And 90% of the time, that is the most appropriate thing to get to know humanity. That's why I read the stories um, from humans of New York is we're just part of humanity and we just want to have a seat at the table. So, all right. um, This is one of the stories that I found and it says a few days before I met him, I'd actually told a friend I'm really content with myself right now. I'm about to meet someone. Then later that week, I was sitting at a bar and I saw him walk in. It was love at first sight. The moment I saw him, I turned to a friend and said, he's the one. He was gorgeous. Sometimes I just look at him and think, he's the most gorgeous man I've ever seen. And he was so funny. Not Jim Carrey funny, but a quiet kind of funny, which is exactly the kind of funny that I wanted. He'd always find the quirkiness in things. In the beginning, he used to write me these love letters that blew me away. We've been together for 20 years now. The vows from our wedding day are framed above our bed. And he did tell me that we were going to go through hard times. Our kids are getting older and we're at the point where we have to reconnect. Sometimes we come home from work and we don't say a word to each other or we don't eat dinner together. Sometimes we'll take a road trip and I'll realize that it's just been me and the kids talking the entire time. Or if we're in bed together, we'll face the other way. Uh, he thinks that just being together is enough, and it's so hard for me to tell him that I'm lonely. So that's a good one, given some of what we talked about. On, on I know. I, I think that's a, a, an, an odd twist that that was the one you picked. <laughs> right? So uh, I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you, And I am in that place in me. There is only one of us. So friends, thanks so much for the support. I'm so glad that you are here to listen to this particular episode. And all of the rest, always appreciate the comments and questions that you have. Until next time, have an amazing day. Remain grateful. My name is Chidima, also known as the Taipei Hippie. Namaste.